Morning, church. Brother Steve, when he was taking up the offering, he said, told Brother Matt, said, what a great job they had done. He said, man, you've got everybody in here fired up. And of course, we know it's the Lord and the Holy Spirit's got everybody here fired up, but he did. And that makes my job easy because I get to stand before you with hearts that are prepared to receive the word of God. Pastor Don is not here this morning, as you all know. Pastor Don's only a few weeks outside of having a pretty uh, extensive set of chemotherapy. Some of you have been through that. You know what that does to the body. Uh, we're in a season of where everyone seems to be sick and sniffles, and those things have a tendency to take a toll on a, on a healthy immune system, much less one that's still recovering from chemotherapy. So I think he's been told by the doctor that he really needs to do something that's hard for, especially men, us hard-headed men, he needs to relax and stay home and stay away from people, and he got him on some antibiotics. And we know that God's been faithful to him, and he's going to be, continue to be faithful, and he'll be strong so he can be here next Sunday as we uh, celebrate 50 years of ministry and the following Saturday and Sunday. So this week in your private prayer time, continue to pray for Pastor Don as, as he strengthens daily. Sister Carol said he is feeling much better today. I'm going to be preaching this morning from the book of Ephesians. You should have an outline. If you don't have an outline, if you'll raise your hand, and we'll make sure you get one. Brother Steve will get you one. We've been studying on Wednesday nights through many of Paul's letters. We did an in-depth study recently of the book of Ephesians. If you were here on a Wednesday night, you, you, you got that. Now we're in Colossians. And I can tell you one thing, the one thing that seems to run through all of Paul's teachings to these churches is one, the matchless name of Jesus Christ and what he had done for Paul, and what he can do for us. And number two, he wanted to see unity and strength amongst the believers, which is what Christ wanted. We have to be a unified body, and I'm afraid we're so divided today among so many things, and it's starting to reflect in our culture and in many things. And I'm afraid that what we're not doing is we're not taking all the tools that we have, that that God has let. We're not using them all. We're not using them all. And in the book of Ephesians, Paul, starting in the beginning of that book, reminds the believers who they are in Christ. That's the first thing he wants them to know. And that's the one thing we have to know, who we are in Christ. We're redeemed. We have a wonderful inheritance. He said Christ was risen from the dead and he was set in heavens above the principalities and the powers. And then he said that the church, the church, that's me, that's you, That we have that power and now it is our responsibility to display the wisdom of God to the principalities and the powers and the things that we see happening today. Because what happens to us is this, and it happens to me. We see the things going on in our society and, and, and church, if you can't watch the news, and I probably watch too much of it, and ask yourself at times, what planet am I living on? I mean, really. What planet am I living in? Am I in the United States where we don't know where a man's a woman or a woman's a man, where they go, what bathroom they go to? And we laugh about these things. But what happens is we start to want to get angry about it and we want to take our political stances on them and we want to take these other stances on them. This is first and foremost spiritual warfare. And I don't think the church has, has, has taken hold to that. I really don't think we've taken home from that. And since we're not using all our tools, we're starting to see the results of it in our homes, in our churches, our nations reflect it. But what we have to understand is just as we sang in that song, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from a position of victory. The, the victory's been won. And Christ has given us all the tools, everything we need to fight this battle. But we've got to change the way we look at it. We have got to change the way we look at some of these things. 
Paul wrote Ephesians to remind them, that the, remind the believers of Ephesians that Christianity is a battleground. It's not a playground. And it is. Christianity is a battleground. It's not a playground. I'm going to read with you, read with me if you will, uh, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. And the, and the title of the message is The Full Armor of God. So Paul has told the Ephesians church who they are in Christ. He's told them the power that the church has. Then he goes on to tell us how we should live. Then he tells us what our families should look like. And then he moves right into this. And after all that, he says, finally. And that's where we'll pick up. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on part of the armor of God. Is that what that scripture says? Put on the whole armor of God. And what's happened to us, the reason we're where we're at, is we have been putting on just part of the armor. But Paul said, put the whole armor of God on. That you may all, all be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up once again the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you haven't left us helpless. God, you said you'd send us a comforter. You've done that. And, and, and Paul's letting us know that we have tools, we have, we have the battle gear we need to fight spiritual warfare. And that's what we're in. So I ask, Lord, that my words are not my words, but they're your words. They'll penetrate hearts. God, if there's one here who doesn't know you, if there's one that doesn't know what it is to be in peace with you through Christ, Lord, let the Holy Spirit of heaven penetrate their heart. Draw them to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at your introduction. We cannot look at what is going on in our country and not realize that the battle lines have been clearly drawn. The signing of the abortion bill in New York, the comments from the Virginia governor on infanticide, and that's, quite frankly, that's just what that was. The drug epidemic in our nation, the chaos in many of our public schools, and the prevailing humanist thought on college campuses serve to remind us, that, as a follower of Christ, that we need the full armor of God. And I'll add to that, as I wrote this introduction, church, and I was, this morning, I thought I would add to that every day we get up and see that there's been another police officer shot or killed. And that makes me so angry. I come out of that profession, and I want to say, what can I do? But I have to always remind myself that these things that I just read you in that, that's a, this is spiritual warfare. Those things that I just read off to you are the result of sin. They're the result of a degrading of mankind through sin. And the Bible has told us there is an answer for that and that we can battle against that. Gone are the days when society and the Word of God and its precepts were mostly in harmony. They are now in direct conflict and the casual Christian will soon have to decide if they will take up the full armor or be overtaken by the enemy and ultimately to the culture. We see every day many mainline denominations, Satan's dropping them like bad habits. They're deciding that they know what's right. They're going to take God's word and they're going to decide what's true in God's word and what's not true in God's word. And it's creating this chaos that we see.
We think it's a Democratic and a Republican problem. It's not. For the follower of Christ, this is never a Democrat and Republican problem. This is a spiritual problem. Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, reminds the believers that they that that they're I'm sorry, reminds the believers there that they must put on the full armor of God and fight their spiritual battles, and we must do the same. Paul would have been referring to the spiritual battle wear that a Roman first century Roman soldier would have worn. This is what he would have based this scripture on, would have been an image like that. So I'm just going to let that image stay up while I go through this, and you can kind of see what Paul was using as a metaphor as he was talking about the spiritual weapons that we have. But I think before we get into our battle gear, I think it's important to know one thing. I think it's to know that our battle is, is not with people, but it's with spiritual darkness. It's not with people. And you, that is a hard distinction to make. Because when we start saying it's with people, that's when we start name-calling. That's when we start acting in ways that I don't think believers should act toward other people. We should not get caught up in that. And it's, it's quite frankly... Coming out of that battle culture a little bit, working in government, I think Sister Christie could tell you this, working in, that's hard. It's hard because in our flesh we want to become angry, especially when they're, we feel like they're attacking our God, and they do. But this battle is not with people, and it's not going to be won with words, with cutting words. It's not going to be won with weapons. It's not going to be won with all those things. It's going to be won with spiritual tools. That's how this battle will be won. It's also worth mentioning that the battle is not against us. Ultimately, this battle is against the Lord. They don't even know that. They would never tell you that. But that is what this battle is against. Look at, look at uh, Psalm 2, 1 through 3. Why do the nations rage? Do you think people are raging today? People are angry about everything. They are. They're angry, they're angry within our own nation. The nations are angry at each other. All the nations are angry at Israel. The nations are certainly raging. And the people plot a vain thing. And people are plotting some really vain things. The kings of the earth set themselves and their rulers to take counsel together. Are they taking counsel against me? Are they taking counsel against the Democrats? Are they taking counsel against Republicans? Are they taking counsel against other nations? That's not what this says. It says against the Lord and his anointed. He said, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. This battle is a spiritual battle. The ultimate rage is against the one and only, the matchless name of the Son of God. And it's the spiritual darkness forces that started a long, long time ago and have been raging for a long time, and they will rage until he returns and sets all things right. And that's what the battle is. That's where it's going to be fought, and that's where it's going to be won. And that's not to say that we, can't, we don't need to get involved in the natural things that fight against that. I'll mention that later. But the first place we have to fight is in the heavenlies. That's the first place we fight. And if we're not willing to do that, sometimes when we step out into the natural to fight, we drift into that thing that that I just talked about. We see ourselves fighting against people. We build our armor in the battle with our own personal temptations. You're going to be building your armor right now. And that armor that that you wear, it is going to be built in your own personal life. You have to put on your own personal armor. Most of the time when Paul was writing, he was writing to a collective church. That church at Ephesians, at Ephesus, and this church here at Bethel Christian Center, we should be one strong collective body. And when we see one member struggling, we should come along beside him and help him. If I know this brother has a weakness, I should be willing to help him. If this sister falls, we should be able to pick him back up and set him back on the right course. It should be a collective fight. If one don't have good battle armor, we need to challenge him and put on good battle armor. 
And that's what I want to do to you this morning. I, I want to encourage you because that's what Paul did when he told that Ephesian church to put on that armor. He wasn't talking down to them. He was there to encourage them. And I want to encourage you to do that this morning. We will never win this battle within ourselves. We must be strong in the Lord. We must be strong in the Lord. Isaiah 12 and 2 said, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He has also become my salvation. My strength is in Him. My hope is in Him. These battles are going to be fought in Him. If I get out and try to fight Him within myself, I'm going to fail and I'm going to fail miserably. And so you, you, will you. And so will we as a church. And so will we as a church. So we must put on the full armor of God. The full armor of God. Starting in verse 14, it said, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with the truth, having put on, having girded your waist with the truth, with the truth. So the first thing is to gird our waist with the truth, with the belt of the truth. That would have been what tied a Roman soldier's gear together. Many said that the breastplate of righteousness would have been attached to it to hold it in place so it didn't move around. A, a Roman soldier would have had a long tunic over that that breastplate of righteousness and things would have tucked in. He'd had to tuck in every that, all that stuff. And, and we've got to tuck away everything that, that is in our lives that is not pleasing to the Lord. It has to be tucked away. And everything is held together by the truth, by the truth of God's Word. And that is one thing that the culture today is after more than anything is the truth of God's Word. That's what they're after. Because that's what Satan has been after from the very beginning. He slipped up to Eve, and what did he say to her? Did God really say? Did God really say? And that's where we're at today. And Christ himself cannot be separated from his word. His word is truth. When he was praying for his disciples, he knew he was going to be crucified. In John 17, if you've never read John 17, read it. Jesus is praying for his disciples and for everyone that would follow him in the future. And he tells them this in John 17 and 17. He said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And if Jesus himself trusted in God's word, and he did, he quoted it a lot, and he told the Father, your word is truth, then I'm going to believe that's what's truth. There's a lot of things that are true today, but they're not truth. It's true that I'm 53 years old right now, but it won't be, that, it won't be true next year on November 12th. It was true, a lot of people believed it was true at one time that the world was flat. Some people still believe that. But they want truth because science has shown that it's round. Truth. Truth never changes and the Word of God never changes. doesn't matter who wants to change it. don't matter who wants to cherry pick it. The Word of God is truth. And every battle, every spiritual battle, everything you need will start from that starting point. That is what Satan attempted to attack was the truth of God's Word and that is what we have to stand on as true believers and followers of Christ is the truth of God's Word. The breastplate of righteousness. This is a battle for the righteousness of God that is found only in Christ. Unfortunately, when we hear about the breastplate of righteousness as believers, and believers who believe that should live godly and holy lives, we jump right to how a brother and sister's doing or not doing, how they're living. Are they living righteously or are they not living righteously? Let me say this, church. The breastplate of righteousness first has to be the righteousness of Christ. 
If it's your righteousness, it's filthy rags. You got to put on Christ. You got to clothe yourself in Him. You got to clothe yourself in His righteousness, not yours. That's the starting point. I believe that's what Paul was saying to that Ephesian church. Put on Christ, put on His righteousness. When you put on His righteousness, it's going to, if you've really put on His righteousness, it's going to result in your righteousness. It's going to result in a day-by-day, walk-by-walk step to be more like Him because He's going to change your heart. He's going to change your mind. He's going to change your way of thinking. Romans 3, 21 and 22 says, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, apart from the law, apart from what you think you're going to do right or not do right, apart from what you've done wrong in the past, apart from all that, This righteousness is from God, and it is the righteousness of Christ. Is being revealed, witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. That was Paul writing to the church at Rome. That's the the righteous plate that you put on. That's where it'll start. But unlike what's happening, and it's because of the word as we go through, we'll see this more and more. We're seeing more and more people say, well, you, you don't have to live righteously. That's wrong. That's not the truth of God's word. We do have to strive to live righteous lives. In 1 John 2 and 29, it says this, If you know that he is righteous, and he is, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Someone who's put on Christ, folks, they're going to start practicing righteousness. They're just going to start practicing. It just flows. It flows out of being in Him. It's just where it comes from. Notice that word practice. Throughout 1 John, many places, it also says those who practice sin are of the devil. Okay? Practice. Practice. Just because you do something or Satan trips you up don't mean you're practicing it. I use this analogy. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. I was witnessing him. I was talking about this. And I use this analogy. I went to see State and, uh, and Carolina wrestle Friday night. And uh, it was supposed to be a good match, but um, State wiped the floor with them, so y'all know. Wiped the floor with them. And, uh, um, but I watched those guys, and I know what they go through in the wrestling room. Colin was a wrestler. Brother Daniel Saldana was. Those practices are brutal for any athlete. They're in there practicing every day. Basketball players are practicing every day. Baseball players, wrestlers, they're practicing every day. You know why? Because they're wrestlers, they're football players, whatever. They practice it to get better. If some guy decides he's going to come flying in off the, out of the gymnasium one day and jump on the wrestling mat and roll around a little bit, he's not going to be very good because he's not a wrestler. He's not practicing wrestling. And I use that analogy. I use that analogy for how we have to practice righteousness. We get up every day with a mindset of practicing righteousness. But we're in a battle. We're going to battle, and sometimes we're going to get knocked down a little bit. But we're going to get back up because the victory's been won. And God tells us how to deal with that. We repent, we know that God's forgiven us of our sins, and we move on. But someone who's been born of righteousness, who's practicing righteousness, their life is not going to be day after day, walk after walk, in what the Bible calls ungodliness and wickedness. They're, They're going to be practicing righteousness. And notice what that breastplate covers. It covers that heart. It covers this vital organ. There's two places that if you take a round, if you took a fiery arrow back then, or if you take a bullet today, unless God moves, you're probably not going to survive that. That's that heart and that head. That heart and that head. But Satan, this is what he's aiming for right here. I think he goes through here to get to here, 
But this is what he's aiming for right here. He's aiming for your heart. He don't, and I'm not talking about those four beaten chambers that pump blood. I'm talking about that spirit person, man, woman inside of you that connects to God. He's aiming for that. That's what he wants. That's what he's after. And it has to be protected. Romans 4 and 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart from everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from the attitude of your heart. The shoes of the gospel of peace. You know, shoes are a symbol of action. When you go home this afternoon and sit down in your recliner, your easy chair, whatever it is you relax in, pop it back. What do you first thing you do usually before you pop it back or right after you pop it back? Pop them shoes off. I do. I'm ready to relax. I might go put on my slippers. I got some slippers. My feet get cold. As I've gotten older, my feet get cold. So I got some little fuzzy slippers I like to put on to keep my feet warm. But if I'm going to go out and work, I put my shoes back on. Those shoes are a symbol of action. Those shoes are a symbol of action to carry the gospel. Romans 10 and 15 says, How shall they preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. I have a question in there for you, church. When's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? When is the last time you shared the gospel with someone? I read something recently that said the happiest Christians are witnessing Christians. And I think the reason, and I know it was for me, and, and studies bear this out, the reason most people don't share the gospel is two. One is fear. And I understand. It, it's an awkward conversation at times to bring up, but you have to, like anything else, you have to come up with a technique of how you bring it up. How you bring it up. Tammy and I were talking about this one not long ago, and she said, well, you just blurted out. I don't feel like I just blurted out. I look for it in road. If, if you will pray... And that's why this is spiritual warfare. If you'll pray and say, God, this person is on my heart. You've set them there. Give me a way. Open a door and then give me the courage to step through it. He'll do it. He'll do it. It's in his will. He wants us all sharing the gospel. But we've got to get over our fear. And then we have to know how to do it. We really have to practice how to do it. And I've been thinking about that. And I've been thinking maybe on a, after we finish this study, maybe on a Wednesday night, we'll just have a class on, on, on how do you share the gospel. How do you do it? It's a very, it's a very simple, non-threatening message. It really is. And it's not your job to do anything with it other than present it. The Holy Spirit does the work after that. That's His job. Our job is to share the message. And, God, and, and Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The spoken word of the simple gospel message through the anointing of the Spirit who does the work. A seed can be planted and change that person's life. And, and if I hadn't learned anything with, with all the times I've been out with the Billy Graham Association, I love to ask people, tell me how you come to, to faith in Christ. A lot of these people I've spoken with, mostly men, uh, come later in life, and their stories run the gamut. So before you think you have the, the, the right way, you need to listen to some of these stories. I've heard them convicted by street preachers. I've heard them convicted by tracks. I've heard them convicted by a, a, their, somebody in their family. I've heard all these stories of how... And so it reminded me that God uses everything. He uses everything. But share the gospel. Share the gospel. Next is the, the it says, above all, take the shield of faith. The shield of faith. The Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing 
and by hearing by the Word of God. Folks, we have got to get God's Word in us. I say this a lot only because I come at this from an experience. I come at this as someone who was raised in church but really didn't have God's Word in me till I was convicted of it by the Holy Spirit. I begin to study and get into His Word for myself, and that is what has built my faith more than anything. And you're not going to go out and battle a spiritual battle if you don't have His Word. If you haven't taken up His Word and hid it in your heart, as the Bible says, and made it a part of your armor. I don't know how those Roman soldiers would have used that shield. I see how big it is. It's not that big, but that's what they would have used to fight off those fiery darts. You know, as I went through this and and, and preparing for this, I had the... um, pleasure when I was still working in the police department served six years on our tactical team commonly known as a SWAT team everybody loves a SWAT team and as I thought about this and I went through I thought you know these things were a Roman soldier wore but some of the same things we wore we put on a belt that was the first thing we put on belt it had a, had, a, had a gun on it we put on a big old vest every officer wears a vest but this was a big vest it come all the way down here it had a collar that come up around here to protect your neck it had a Velcro thing that hung down to protect the growing area, a big, big vest. Of course, we wore boots. And then also we would have a shield. Now, we didn't carry a shield out unless it was, we knew, we didn't carry a shield out on what would be a typical drug raid or something. We carried shields out on like a hostage situation. And then things could be big. And they're heavy. So you couldn't carry them far. As a matter of fact, they make shields now that are on wheels. They're so big, they're on wheels, you can't carry them. And they'll put them into a school if there's a shooter or something in a place where there's a long hallway, and they'll push that shield. And you'd be amazed at how many men can get behind a shield when you think somebody's in there with a gun. A lot can get behind that shield. But that's just the thing. What size is your shield? Have you got a little tiny shield? Is your knowledge of the Word of God, is it a little tiny shield? I want as big a shield as I can get. Because if I need it in the natural, I need it in the spiritual. Because I want to hide behind it. When the, when the devil starts throwing his stuff at me, when he starts throwing stuff at our church, when he starts throwing things in my mind, I want a big old shield to get behind. I wanted a big shield to get behind in real life. I need a big shield to get behind in spirit life. Get you a big shield. Build your shield. Your shield is built by building your faith in the Word of God. The helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. This is where it starts. This is where it starts. The battlefield is in the mind. The battlefield for your heart is in the mind. When Satan slipped into Eve's ear, he was trying to get into her head to get her to do something she shouldn't have done, and and he did it. The battlefield is here. Put on that helmet of salvation. And you know what? It's taken me a while. took me years to understand. It's not about feeling. It's about what God's Word says. And if you put your faith in Him, you've come to Him humbly, you've asked Him to forgive you of your sin, the, the, the name of the Lord is a, is a high tower and the righteous run into it and we are saved. That's what the Word of God says. And you need to put that on your, on, over you and you need to protect that mind with it. And when things come into your mind, Satan puts things in your mind, he puts things in your mind that is contrary to this, you need that helmet protecting it. Because he's trying to change your mind. And that's what repentance is. You know repentance is a change of mind, change of heart, change of mind. That's where salvation begins, in repentance. 
You have to come down and truly get before the Lord and recognize two things. He's a holy God. His standard is perfection. And you can't meet it and fall before your knees and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's where it starts. That's the helmet of salvation. And then you pick that up and then you start putting on the rest of your armor and building the rest of your armor. Lastly is the sword of the Spirit. This is the only offensive weapon. This is the actual spoken Word of God. The belt of truth is the truth of God's Word. This is the spoken Word of God. What did Jesus use to fight Satan with? Spoken Word. Satan came to him trying to tempt him. Jesus spoke the Word. The devil knew the Word. He spoke it back. But Jesus spoke that Word, spoke that Word, and spoke that Word. You have to speak that Word. you got to speak it over your life. You got to speak it over your family's life. You got to speak it over whatever battle is going on in your life. You got to speak it over your church. You got to speak it over the pastor. But you have to do that in prayer. And we'll get to that in just a moment. What the culture is trying to do, and they're becoming very successful in it, and I say the culture, I shouldn't say it, what Satan is doing, that's who's, that's who's doing this. He's trying to separate Christ from this. You can believe in Christ, you can believe in the love of Christ, but this right here and parts of it is optional. That is theologically impossible. That's how Governor Cuomo can sign a bill that says that a baby can be aborted right at the point of birth and that people, clergy, people who, who, who would name the name of Christ can stand behind him and clap and smile. That's how that happens because they have separated Christ from his word. That is not possible. How do I know? Because John, John 1 says so. John 1 says this. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This, my friends, is God. It's God-breathed. It's, it's everything we need for life and righteousness. This is the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God. And we have to stand on it. We have to make that decision within putting on these, these, these battle gear. We have to believe that this is God's word. And anything that comes against it, anything that says it's not true, we have to have that helmet of salvation that says, no, I'm going to stand on his word. We have to be girded with the truth of his word. We have to be girded with his righteousness. But we have to believe that his word is truth. Jesus Christ cannot be separated from his word. As a matter of fact, if you look at all these pieces of armor, what Paul is saying is that we need to clothe ourselves completely in Christ. Christ is our truth. Christ is our righteousness. He is our peace. He is our faith. He is our salvation. And he is the word. He is all our battle armor. He's every bit of it. He's all we need. And he has revealed himself through his written word. And that is where our battle armor lies. But then in verse 18, Paul says this, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. Praying always. How do we pray at all times? 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, pray without ceasing. We have to, the battle is won in prayer. Because these, we're, we're seeing the results of spiritual warfare. 
Our battle has to be won in prayer. We have to pray without ceasing. You have to be in a spirit of prayer. I can't explain that to you. You have to learn how to develop it. Do I, when I was working, and even today, when I'm about my duties, do I, am I dropping to my knees everywhere praying? No, I'm not. Do I have to do like those who, who, who are in the Islam faith? Do I have to get a carpet out at certain times and, and kneel down and pray three times? No, I don't have to do that. But my mind is constantly in a spirit of prayer. And, it, and it's a discipline that has to be developed. I cannot tell you about that. But you have to develop that. It's simple things like you're riding down the road and you see a, a glorious sunrise or a glorious sunset and you just stop for a minute and in your, within your spirit you're praising the God that created it. And you find yourself doing those things throughout the day all the time. And people come into your mind. People drop into my mind all the time and I'll stop for a moment and pray for them. It's a, it's, it's a spirit of prayer. Pray in the spirit. We believe in the, bapti- we believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We believe there is a, a second experience. When you're saved, the spirit of the Lord comes in. That's what comes in. When you're really saved, the spirit of the Lord comes in and dwells in you. But then there's a subsequent experience. It's called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And what it comes out of that is power. It ain't something that makes you crazy. It's not something that makes you weird. It's power. And there's gifts that come out of that. And you know what that Bible says? The gifts of that is? It's for the edification of the church. But we too many times think it's for the edification. That word that Brother Dan gave, that prophecy, and that's what that was. That was one of the gifts of the Spirit. Did that, did that build you up? It did me. It built me up. And that's the way that should function. I didn't, I didn't for one second think that that drew my attention to Brother Dan. That drew my attention right to Christ. Which is where it belongs. And it's a subsequent experience, and it's powerful, and it'll give you power. It'll give you a fresh desire for His Word. It'll give you a reinvigorated prayer life. But you have to first believe, and then you have to seek. You have to be willing to seek, to really seek. But the hunger is what it's really all about. You know, that power was poured out on that early church. But you know, the Bible said that they, they had gone up there to do what? Tarry. We won't tarry two minutes. We were a fast-paced culture. They, went, they were hungry, and they went up there to tarry. And when they did, the power of God was poured out on them. Pray in the Spirit. Next it says, pray with supplication and perseverance. Supplication means to plead humbly. Folks, if there has ever been a time that we as believers need to be on our knees pleading humbly for our nation, for our homes, for our churches, it's today. It is today. I'm going to give you some homework. And if you've got your pen there, write that. Write Daniel 9 next to that. Go read the prayer that Daniel... We, we, we're not the first church. We're not the first generation to be in, 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 a, in a culture that didn't seem like it was very amenable to, to the things of God. It's not nearly as bad as it was in Babylon here. It's not nearly as bad as it was in Ephesus here. Nearly. They had an entire temple in Ephesus built to a goddess, Artemis. And as a matter of fact, they tried to run Paul out of there because he was in there preaching Jesus Christ. People were getting saved. And one of the silversmiths who was making money off the little coins that they sold to Artemis got mad and they run him out of there. That's not happening to us yet. So so we're not the only ones to feel like there's some pressure. It's just our culture is changing. And we've been been spoiled by a culture for a long time that the things of our culture and of the church have been, in most part, harmonious. That's changing. And it's going to continue to change. And in every single situation when it happened, you had people, whether it was Daniel, whether it's Paul, they were on their knees pleading to the Lord. 
And that's what it's going to take from us. It's going to take some real anointed prayer. And then living it. And then it says, pray for your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Paul always encouraged the, the fellow believers to pray for each other. Let me say this. This is my local body. I love being around the believers. I love being around the saints. You all, I love you. I pray for you. I want to spend eternity with you in heaven. And I know there's struggles in life. Many of you, I, I, I've witnessed you walk them. And I've prayed for you through them. And I know you've prayed for me through the struggles of mine. And it's encouraging. And through every one of his epistles, Paul prayed that the believers would encourage each other, that would build each other up, not tear each other down. So pray for the saints. Pray for the brothers and sisters in the Lord. When we go to DMIP or if I go to some conference somewhere or, or go to a gathering where there's believers, it's just a, it's just, it's a sense in there that, that there's peace in there because you're around fellow believers and brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that's refreshing to me. We had a sheriff's candidate come to DMIP. Um, Paul Martin was his name to tell us about his candidacy and why he was running. And he walks in there. And he sits down. And the first thing he says, I don't know if you were there, Brother Mike, but the first thing he says is, it's peaceful in here. Yes, it is. Because the presence of the God is here. Because the presence of the Lord is in every one of those men and women you see sitting around this thing. And we're not here to criticize you. We're not here to say what platform you should run on. We're not here to do all that. We're just here to listen to you. But we want you to sense the presence of a living God. And when you're in the presence of the living God, there's peace. And if anything's needed in our culture today, it is peace. It is peace. So what can I do? That's the thing. You see this stuff going on. You see whether it's the abortion debate, whether it's you know, the, the sexuality debate, all these things happening. You're like, what, what can I really do? What can I do? Well, what we can't do is say, I can't do nothing, so I'm not going to do nothing. We have to. The first thing is this, and I've mentioned it. We've got to start really praying. And I, church, I don't mean a now lay me down to sleep prayer. And prayer is hard. I'm not going to tell you it's not. It, it's, it takes a, it's a, it's a discipline. It really is. It, it requires you to slip along somewhere. And there's going to be times, I'm going to tell you from my experience, you're going to slip along. And I, I wish I could tell you, oh, I get in front of the Lord and I pray an hour every day. I don't. It's no easier for me than it is for anyone else. But it's a discipline that God's helped me work on. And like any other discipline, unless you work at it, it won't get any better. But so start this week with 10 minutes. Say, God, I'm going to get along with you for 10 minutes. And I'm going to spend some time before you. And pray. And pray for the nation. Pray that God will move. Pray that he'll send a spirit of repentance across this land. Pray that he'd be glorified. Pray that he would save some influential person. That was prayed at a DMIP, and I never thought about that. I thought, do you know what would happen if, if God would really save Nancy Pelosi? That would shake this world up, man. Can he do it? You better believe he can do it. Ain't nobody he can't get hold to. He made Nebuchadnezzar. See, Nebuchadnezzar set himself against God, and he rolled out there and ate grass like a madman. And then we finally came to himself. He said, the only God is the God of Daniel. And there's only one God. It's our God. But pray that he would move. Pray that he would super. He wants to hear from us. Because I'm going to tell you, as long as we can get out there and do it on our own, what does he need to do it for? What does he need to do it for? So pray. I want to challenge you in something, church. And yes, individual prayer. You, you need to have an individual, consistent prayer life. 
But much of what this was written about was, was a corporate challenge to a corporate church in Ephesus. Now, the writers of this believe that this was a church, this was a letter to be passed around to multiple churches in that area. It wasn't just for Ephesus. But Paul was challenging the individual believers, but what he was challenging was the collective body. I want to challenge you, if you've never come on a Friday night prayer, I want to challenge you to come on a Friday night prayer. It's one hour. Now, I know that can be intimidating. I know you're like, I can't pray for an hour. Well, we don't hold hands and pray for an hour. Just pray. What I would refer this to is abiding. We're abiding in the Lord. There's a, there's a music here. There's a, there's a, a spirit of, of, of worship and prayerfulness here. And we come together, together to pray. And that, if, you've never, if, you, don't have a, if you don't have a strong prayer life, you will start to build it in that. Because you'll understand what it's like. You know what we've lost in this country? We've lost the, 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 the solitude. We've lost the discipline of solitude. And that goes for me. It goes for all of why. I've got my cell phone. I've got my Facebook. I've got my Instagram. I've got my television. i got bop, 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 bop. And it, it constantly pulls for our, for our mind and our hearts and our directions. You won't experience anything better than getting away from all that for one hour and abiding with the Lord. I'm going to tell you how I know. I asked uh, Colin, you know, my son's in Africa as a missionary. And he'd been gone about three months. And I asked him this question. I said, Colin, okay, you've left the comforts of the United States, gone over to this third world place, sharing Christ to a Muslim nation. What, what is it that has built your spirit life more than? What, what have you gotten? What's made you grow spiritually from that? You know, and I was thinking, he'd say when I was thinking, oh, you know, talking to Muslims, talking, doing this, not being in, you know, being away from all the comforts of America. No, no. You know what he told me? He said, we are required to abide in the Lord for two hours a day. They get up in the morning and for two hours. Now, when he comes back here to this fast-paced world we live in, will he do that? Probably not. But he said for two hours, he get up and they, they abide in the Lord. That can be in Bible studying, reading. It can be in personal worship, settings, having your own worship set on your, on your phone. It, it's in prayer but for two hours. So it's not going off to a foreign land. It's abiding in the presence of the Lord. And that's where this spiritual battle is going to be won. It's not going to be won out there with a sign. It's not going to be won out there pointing your finger. It's not going to be won being a Republican or a Democrat. It's going to be won abiding in the presence of God, pleading for our nation, pleading for our brothers and sisters. That's where it's going to be won. And and I, I want you on a Friday night to come, if you've never been, and just... Check it out. See what it's like to come into a place, to get out of the culture for a minute, and seek the Lord. Next is uh, give. There are a lot. If you want to know practical, we do need to do some practical things. There are a lot of good, solid ministries out there on the front line. Find one. During the Sanctity of Life, we highlighted uh, pregnancy support services. Wonderful ministry. Give to it. Find a way to give to it. They, they need volunteers. You, you heard Brother Matt's brother runs a large ministry. I'm sure it's funded. Give to it. Find ministries. Give here to your local church first. It belongs here first. The tithe belongs here. But let's get out of the all about me mentality and start giving to, to things for those people who are out there on that, those front lines fighting in this battle culture. And next is work. We do need to work. You, many of you out there work for a living, and I know you're busy. 
And so I'm not directing this at you. My life, I have so much more time than I had before. I didn't have a lot of time before when I was working. But I'm afraid we used the I don't have time excuse for too many things. We use that excuse for too many things. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to go to church. I don't have time for this and I don't have time for that. We make time for things that are important to us. Make some time. Discipline yourself. Make a little bit of time. Make it to pray. Make it to read God's Word. And then make it to say, you know, I'm going to volunteer or I'm going to do something here a couple times a year. Because they need the help. Volunteer here at the church. And many of you do. One of my favorite verses is uh, 1 Peter 1 and 13. Martin, were you able to get that in the ESV? Can you pull that up? Peter said this, prepare your minds for action. Folks, we got to prepare our minds for action. We got to prepare our minds for action. Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. He's coming back. He's going to reveal himself one day in that sky. And I'm going to stand before him one day at a judgment seat. And I'm going to give an account for what I've done and not done. And so are you. So I want to set my mind on action. I want to set it on action and be in his word. I want to set it on action and trying to daily live according to his word, knowing that I'm going to have to repent at times with my shortcomings, and you are too. And then I'm going to try to get out there and, and, and do what I can to, magna, to build his kingdom. That's what I want to do is build his kingdom. I'm closing. I'm going to ask Brother Matt and the team if they'll come forward. I want you to look at the conclusion, if will. If you're going to have any impact on the spiritual darkness built in our nation, we must be believers equipped with all the tools of spiritual warfare. Are you fully clothed with the armor of God? Or like many in our culture today, do you have only the helmet of salvation? I think there's a lot of, as I was reading and studying this, I heard one commentator refer to it as Christian streakers. Are you a Christian streaker? Are you running around here with just a helmet on? Thinking that's going to get it? That's not going to get it. You need it all. That's why Paul said put on the full. Put it all on. Put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the shoes. Get you a big old shield. And take the sword of the Spirit. All of it. He said we got to have it all. We can't go around and say, well, I'm saved and I don't need, I don't, ha- I don't have to live this. I don't have to give anything into this. This don't need to cost me any of my time. I don't have to worry about whether it's true or not true. That's much of what Satan is doing in our culture today. You know, what prompted this? I told you I've been reading and studying the life of David, and I've been sharing with a few men about the life of David. And you know David fought Goliath. But before he did, Saul came to David and said, David... Take my armor. Take my armor. Put it on. And the Bible says that David put on Saul's armor. Now, first of all, Saul was probably about 6'2". David was probably 5'5", five, 5'7". Five, five, One, it didn't fit. That'd have been that helmet probably hung down to here. The shield probably came all the way down to there. The sword maybe hung down on the ground. Who knows? But it didn't fit. And I think David gave it a shot, and then he looked at Saul, and he said this. I can't wear this. It's found in 1 Samuel 17, 38 through 39. can't wear this. I've not tested it. I've not tested it. And I want you to know, when I read that, when I was reading and studying life, God spoke to me and he said, Larry, you can't wear somebody else's battle armor. You ain't, it ain't been tested. Are you trying to wear somebody else's battle armor? Because when the day of testing comes, it's not going to fit. 
you got to build your own armor. You got to put your own helmet of salvation on. You got to decide what the truth is. Is it God's word or is it what everybody else is saying it is? You got to put on a breastplate of righteousness. You got to put Christ on yourself. And you have to step out and say, God, this is going to require maybe some changes in my life. It's going to be hard. I'm not going to tell you it's not, it's going to be. But I got to make some changes because I got to know what this says. Are you going to put shoes on and decide I'm not just going to come to church and hear this and go out and have no impact in my life and I have no impact on anyone else. I'm going to put my shoes on and I'm going to go out there and make a difference. And then are you going to take up the Word of God and are you going to use it? Are you going to use it? And lastly, are you going to pray? Or are you going to think that you can rely on somebody else to do all those things for you? You can't. You can't. I'm going to ask you if you're here this morning and you've never put on that helmet of salvation. And as I look around this sanctuary, most people here are regular tenders, and I think you have put on that helmet of salvation. But if you've never put on that helmet of salvation, see, I'm not going to draw you. I'm, my words aren't going to draw you. But the Holy Spirit, He's going to draw you. I've sat in a pew before and felt Him tugging at me, white-knuckled, trying to fight it. It's a miserable feeling. If you're ever under that type of conviction, you get up and come to that altar. The God of heaven, the mighty God of heaven and Christ His Son is drawing you to Himself. Man, why would we be afraid of that? He's saying, come to me. And He's calling you for a reason. Don't ever turn that away. And people do. I know the convicting power of God still moves around. And people just, they run away from it. I'm afraid. God's drawing you this morning to put on the helmet of salvation. You come. I'm going to ask everyone if you will to stand. Paul issued this challenge to the church at large because he wants us to be, and his believers to be, victorious. Like I said when I opened up, we're fighting from a position of victory, not to win victory. But we've got to take all these tools and put them on and go out and, and fight the battle, fight the spiritual battle. And I am convinced, I am convinced, church, that if we come together collectively as a body of Christ and really start putting on this armor and putting it to use, we'll see things change. We'll see things change in a home. We'll see things change in our schools. We'll see things change in our churches. And then we'll see things change in the nation. But it's going to be, we're, we're way past man doing this. You, you can't watch the news and see what's going on. No, we're way past us doing this. Now, we're going to get out and maybe do our part in the natural. But if you can't do anything else, you do it in the spiritual first. And that should be done first anyway. Do it on your knees. Crying out to God like Daniel did. This week, commit to yourself if you don't have a prayer life. I'm going I'm to establish myself a prayer life. If you're not in words of God's Word, I'm going to get me some abiding time. It might not be but 15 minutes a day, but I'm going to start there and get me some abiding time. And if you've never come on a Friday night, come on Friday night. Let's see what God will do when we begin to seek Him collectively. Let's see what He'll do. Pray with me. Father, I thank You for Your, your Word, Your challenges. Lord, I thank You for the encouragement of, of, of Paul. God, he wanted to see the believer strong. He wanted to see us unified. He wanted to see the same things, Lord, You wanted to see. That we'd be one in You. God, and we become one in You, and we begin to take up all the tools... God, then, 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 we start to win battles. Because these battles are first in the heavenlies, not, not what we see with our eyes. 
So help us, help me, Lord. Help me not to become discouraged, angry, lashing out at, at, at the results. Help me, Lord, to always see that you've given us the tools to seek you and to fight this battle where, it's, where it belongs in the heavenlies. I'm going to ask everyone, if you will, to come down to the front. We end our services in prayer. We believe in prayer. And so we're going to come down and just spend a few minutes in worship and prayer around the altar. Is there anyone here this, this evening you have a, you have a special need? And, and, and this, is, this is what the collective church is about, bearing each other's burdens. If you have a need this morning and you want some, some brothers and sisters to gather around you, tell them what it is and let us pray for you. If you'll just raise your hand. We've got people here who will come around. If somebody can pray with Linda, anyone else? I'm sorry, I don't know your name. What, what is your name? Sherry. Sherry. Will somebody come over here? Some of the ladies come over and pray with Sherry. Any, any, anyone else? Anyone else? Okay. So for those of you who've gathered around someone, I want you to pray. Brother Matt and Emma are going to, going to sing. So let's spend a little time in personal worship and prayer as, as we pray for the, in these needs. Brother Matt. I told you we wore armor very similar to what these guys wore on police department. Rick, Rick served on that team together. And I can imagine what would have happened if I had just put on my helmet and was running over to the van. My team members would have said, hey, are you crazy? Go get your gear on. We ain't going out like that. That's what this is about. This is about challenging each other to take all of our gear. It's time, church. It's time to get in the fight. And we're fighting from a position of victory. The victory has been won. It's just, are we going to take up the tools and fight? So this week, build your armor. Start building your armor today for the battles of your life, for the battles of your home, for the battles of the church, and for the battles of the kingdom of God. He's victorious. We will be victorious. God bless you. I hope you have a great, great day.